Hi everyone, I'm Jason Rosewell and this is Flightcast, the Infinite Flight Podcast. Infinite Flight is a mobile flight simulator that you can download for your phone or tablet with live flight and air traffic control environments. Last episode we continued the developer series and today we continue our ATC series with part two. Joining me are real world air traffic controllers Tristan Hensley, Tyler Shelton, and Michael Scholen. Guys, welcome back. Thank Thanks. you. All right, so I, I take a lot of heat in the background about uh, Tyler being on this show so much. Um, I think it's because Tyler has the most to offer this podcast. I'd have to disagree with that. <laughs> Tristan disagrees. What a surprise. I, yeah. I feel like I have more to offer. We can start a petition to get me fired. No, we don't want you fired. All right. So um, we're going to start with you, Mike. Um, on the last episode, you mentioned you'd be starting some training at LAX Tower. And uh, this has actually happened since we last spoke. So can you fill us in on what that experience has been like? Yeah, it's um, it, it's pretty stressful. And I just got off of one of the, the ground north. And um, it, it's so crazy how it's different from the center. The people are different. The, you, you have to relearn everything about how you relearned everything the first time. Um, and it's not even just about air traffic. It's about understanding personalities, what people like, what people don't like. Um, I don't even I, I don't even know where to start. It's been so much going on. My head hurts so much right now because I I just got out of training about twenty minutes ago. Oh wow! Well, thanks for being here with us. I, I really appreciate it. And it should be said too that I I totally jacked up the uh, Mike. You're on the west coast, and everybody else is on the east coast, and I messed up the <laughs> time all, conversion. So uh, don't worry about that. Mike's here on his break from training. So. Um, <laughs> All right. Well, let's let's just uh, and actually, Tristan and Tyler, if you have any questions for Mike as we go here, uh, we'll kind of. T- I want to talk about this training a little bit at LAX, I, and then I have can one quick on. question. Sure. Um, and and my question is that why can Jason not add three hours onto a clock? <laughs> That's really my my question. Wow, it's almost like we have Joe here. <laughs> That's That's the only one I have on that, and then we can move. Okay. Good. Okay, so Mike, you mentioned to me earlier, uh, actually to a few of us, that um, you've been doing some, I, I don't know what it's called f- exactly, but uh, training with no radar. So I guess that, what would you call that type of training? Yeah, so they put me on the ground, on the ground control um, position, and they have a ground radar that picks up the aircraft as they taxi, so you can see what the lineup's like, what kind of departures you have, where they're going, um, fitting you know, trying to f- split the same departures with a different departure so that you can fit more aircraft out within a, within a time amount. Um, and since I come from the center where we all we do is look at the radar, I'm constantly looking at that radar screen. So on the very second session, <laughs> they just shut it off and they're like, look out the windows. You came down here to look out windows, look out the windows and figure out who they are. And, um, yeah, so they just shut the screen off and they won't let me train with it. So how does that work when you, you, you have a, um, a flight strips in front of you for ground control, I would assume, just yeah. like you would for tower. Right. And so you, you know, roughly where people are supposed to be, but are they always where they're supposed to be? 
Well, there were they're supposed to be, but I don't always have the strips lined up as they're supposed to be lined oh, up. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. I don't even know where to begin with my questioning, to be honest. I don't want to fry your brain even more than oh, it already is. No. but It's okay. Just go for it. Okay, well, so I'm just curious about how that process works. So you've got uh, maybe you've got an air, aircraft that's pushed back, pushed back already. Have you cleared them to push back, or is someone else doing that? Yeah, if you're, I guess it's, it gets a little bit complicated. So I try and make it in the simplest form. But on the north grounds, um, up on terminal one, two, three, and the north portion of the Tom Bradley International, the ground Which is what like cargo. Uh, international flights oh, okay yeah international passenger flights um any of those aircraft that are on the gates will call you for pushback but if you're on the south side uh four five six seven and eight all those terminals plus the south side of the tom bradley international for the most part like 90 to 95 percent of those airplanes they have ramp they have a ramp tower so the ramp tower will push them back, line them up to exit the alley, and then they contact you as they're exiting the alley. Um, there's a few end gates that we take care of, but for the most part, I mean, a lot, a lot of your calls are going to be from those alleys. Okay. Well, so depending on which one you're working, it can be different, the procedure. Yeah, it'd be different. And then all the way on the very, very south side of the airport, I mean, you'll have uh, the Atlantic landmark for your GA guys, Singapore cargo, Japan cargo, Korean cargo, and then the ICC, um, where all the where a lot of the cargoes park. So th that's a different operation too. Okay, Mike, is there a? Uh, I've heard that at LAX they don't, um, they they actually tug aircraft to the gate once they get close. Is that is that true, or is that just a rumor that I heard? Um, it depends on which gate and which aircraft type is going on to that gate. Some of them require a tug to pull onto the gate, but some of them can taxi straight onto the gate. So I, I guess it, it'd be partially true, depending on, you know, the gate. Okay. It must have been, perhaps it was somebody who flies just a, a is it for like the larger aircraft? Yeah, the, I, I think a lot of the supers and then, um, yeah, larger, some larger aircraft, depending on, just depending on the gate and the way that the jetway goes, I guess. I'm I'm not too familiar with that. I know that there's a few gates where they tell us that they have to get tugged onto, but um, I don't know specifically. I don't remember which ones they are specifically. Okay. So what would you say, Mike, is the hard, has been the hardest part about um, transitioning from center to, uh, let's say, ground? Because you were in clearance delivery first, right? Yeah, I started in clearance. Um, I mean, that's pretty straightforward because we did give clearances off the even off the ground from the center especially on the mid uh, when i worked the mid operation we took over like santa barbara and all that so that was pretty straightforward for me it was just um some of the specific operations from here that changed but it wasn't that big of a deal but okay going from center to ground um using well first of all you have to relearn everything that's around you. So all the gate numbers, all the taxiways, all the alleys, um, the different, like the different little tips and tricks that you were used to, they're not going to work anymore. Um, looking out the window to see airplanes instead of looking at the radar. That's, that's a big thing for me because even 
um, when I look at the radar, like even here, when I look at the radar, I feel comfortable because I know exactly what taxiway that is. But then as soon as I look out the window, it's hard to correlate it for me right now. Uh, you know, like, is he holding short of Tango? Is he holding short of Uniform? Is he holding short of Bravo? And there's a lot of places where you can't see airplanes. So then I drift back to the radar scope. And, of course, you know, they don't like that here. So, um, Well, and if it's turned off, that's even an even bigger problem. Yeah, but you know what's, what's crazy is I almost feel more comfortable with them turning it off because I don't get... I don't, I don't know how to explain it, but I don't like get sucked into it to where I lose focus. But it, it also hasn't been overly busy when they turn off the radar scope. So that's, I think, uh, I think part of it as well. Okay. So they turn it off on Sunday night as opposed to Monday morning. Yeah. Um, actually, yeah, they turned it off last night. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But today, today it's been on all day, I think to help them as well, because you know, they can only let me go so far and then they have to remember everything that I've screwed up and fix everything. Right. Okay, man. Well, we could go on for a long time, but, um, Tristan, so how, how does this experience that you're hearing from Michael, um, kind of compare to the experience that you had during training? Well, it's actually, um, almost identical. I mean, where Michael's working is, you know, on a much larger scale than where I was at, but he was talking about the ground radar that it's called the ASD, uh, is what it's actually called. And he was talking about how they don't want him to be staring at that. And that that's pretty common. Um, even when you get over to local control, it's called or, or tower control. If you're a pilot, um, it's the same type thing. They don't really want you staring at that. You kind of use it as a, as an aid. Um, and you know, he had talked about ground control is where he's at now. You start out at clearance delivery. That's pretty common. You go through there and then you move over to ground control and ground control. You know, you're actually sequencing aircraft just like you would, you know, if you were working a, a pattern in a tower and, you know, especially at a place like LAX, if the ground controller is not sequencing aircraft getting switched over to tower and say you have everybody that's going north, you know, and there there's five in a row, you need a certain amount of separation. You know, the approach control needs three miles and then they need five miles by the time it hits uh, the center. And if you've got a ground controller that's not sequencing, you can't get as many aircraft off. If you've got one aircraft turning off to the right, right off uh, departure, and then the next one's going left, you can have them going back and forth, clearing them one right after another. But mm. if the ground controller's not doing good in sequencing, then it kind of slows down the departures. So what, basically everything he said is similar to, to what I did. You know, it's just his airports on a larger scale, you know, and the amount of taxiways and runways that they have, you know, it's a lot more. But I mean, I, I understand what he's doing and, you know, them shutting off that ASDI is pretty common when, when people are in training to kind of get them to look out the window. And, you know, if you kind of forget someone's call sign, you can quickly glance over there and you know refresh your memory but you definitely don't want to rely on that as a controller because it it could fail and then if it fails and you, you're just sitting there staring at it then what do you do right yeah um before we get to you tyler i have a question for you about this as well but um 
Mike, do you find that, uh, well, have you, do you have any pilots that have been overly frustrated with you so far in your training? I think for the most part, they, a lot of them understand, uh, I think as a pilot, you probably understand a lot of times when people are training because they sound so hesitant. Um, I remember sounding hesitant in the center. Then over time, you know, you get more comfortable. So they hear, they probably, you know, hang out on the frequency and all of a sudden they hear the instructor key up. So when I give the next guy the instruction, he probably already knows, oh, this guy is training like something right. is probably going to go wrong with whatever he tells me. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've only had, it's really only been one, and it was the one that I, where I sent you guys that link, and I think you heard it, or somebody heard it. I heard um, it. <laughs> it, it was only, it was only one guy, and that was my trainer who, who stepped in to, to talk to him, but that's like the only one that I remember that's actually been mad about something. Okay. Yeah, I mean, for the most part, it, it sounds like people just kind of roll with it. Yeah, that, I, I've been lucky enough to get that treatment. <laughs> Nice. Um, so Tyler, from an Air Force perspective, how does the training differ from the other guys so far? Um, like, do you have any, do you have different frequencies at your Air Force base and how does this all work? Um, yeah, we have a little bit of different stuff. And I know Tristan's dealt with it too, that like for an Air Force base, you usually have a lot of MOAs and restricted areas and stuff like that. So um, more so in a RAPCON or radar environment, they're actually uh, monitoring those MOAs and stuff. But as for just tower, um, which is what I'm doing now, we still have just the basic um, local ground flight data frequencies, stuff like that. So you actually have a ground um, controller as well at your base? Yeah, correct. Hmm. Can you explain what a MOA is? Because I think some people might not know what you're talking about. I don't have any clue. A MOA is pretty much just a designated military airspace. Um, It's not where aircraft are doing any sort of um, like firing or anything like that. It's just where you can expect to see military aircraft doing um, refueling, low-level flying. And typically, that's where they'll have their waivers to go um, above 250 knots, below 10,000 feet. Um, So ultimately, it's just a huge playground and training area for military aircraft. So if if Skyhawk Heavy is flying his 172 up near Valdosta, he needs to stay out of that area? Um, they can fly through it, but it's not necessarily recommended without some sort of flight following or even um, without approval from uh, the approach controller. Um, but it is kind of interesting. Um, as far as the training aspect, I- I'm not sure if it's the same in the civilian world, but at least in the military, and usually because we don't really get that much traffic, you know, with just budget cuts and, and stuff like that, and, you know, if aircraft are deployed or whether they're home. But probably 95% of the time, if there's traffic, a trainee is in position. So I would say that probably the, all the pilots that are flying are just completely used to talking to trainees. And you know, it might be kind of a struggle for them because they never really get to talk to just fluent controllers that are sitting there getting to control all day. Um, okay. Um, now, Tyler, you, you're actually doing some training. You're actually a trainer at this point, are, are you not? Yes, it's... Uh, it's been pretty different. I've been a trainer for about two months and I'm still learning, um, partially the hard way. (laughs) Had a situation last week that was pretty fun. You mentioned to me and actually we were, a few of us were chatting and and I, I feel like I was the only one who didn't understand this point, but so you explained it to me, but, um, you guys have, um, they're called, um, uh, three levels. 
well, there there was a civilian in the tower with you, um, and apparently there is often. It was a coordinator or something? Yes, there's a coordinator position. Um, I actually just finished my training for that on Friday, and I have my certification for it tomorrow. Um, so the coordinator, or what we call it as the CT position, is basically um, a local assist. So whenever you have the tower controller and he's talking to all the aircraft in the air, a lot of times that controller is also having to take um, calls, I guess you could say, from the RAPCON. And approach would be saying, hey, you know, tower, here's an inbound. So rather than that tower controller having to talk to all the aircraft in the air and do all the coordination, the coordinator would take those calls for them and then point them out on the scope saying, hey, one, two miles to the east is Bangle 1, he's inbound for you know, initial runway one eight left. Okay. Um, Mike, do you have anything like that that you know of at uh, LAX where you, you're you're dealing with all of the traffic that you know of? And then, you know, we've, we've seen people who, maybe not so much at LAX, but, um, you know, our, our guy that we watch on YouTube, uh, Mr. Aviation 101, he did a, um, I think a stop and go at um, Chicago O'Hare uh, at night. And so the air traffic controllers were nice enough to let him into the pattern and that and video land. was intense that was really in, like i'm i sit sitting there nervous for him right um, yeah, i was i was stressing out <laughs> yeah yeah so so mike do you have stuff like that going on lax at all as far as the assist or the they don't allow um stop and goes or touch and goes here at the airport oh okay so yeah no. it's, it's uh, like what about the assist then yeah the assist they have each um each tower controller, they have two tower controllers, one for the north, one for the south, and each one has a, an assist, you know, during standard hours. On the mid-operation, they kind of go away, um, but, okay, you know, during the regular hours, yeah, each one has an assist, and then I guess that's it. <laughs> okay. So are they are they ordering the strips for you and stuff like that? Because at Moody, we, we'll order the strips for the local controller, will take all, like all the inbound calls and then if there's something that they're not seeing like if uh if I'm just watching the situation I'm like there's no way this sequence is ever going to work you just kind of point it out to them are they pretty much doing the same thing for for the I local assist their, I don't know about for their arrivals but we on ground we pass the strip the you know clearance gives us the strip then the aircraft calls we pull the strip over and then once they start taxiing we put it the strips in a sequence that the aircraft are taxiing it will arrive to the runway. Then we pass okay. those to assist and then assist pass them to the tower controller. Then they put them, um, you know, bottom is first, t the top is last. Right. right they're going to hit the runway. Yeah. And then, um, like on the South side, they have a lot more options because a lot of people take off almost, you know, I guess you consider it intersection departure, but, there's only like an extra, I think, thousand feet or something. They can taxi them full length to run somebody out if they don't like that sequence. But on the north side, they don't have that option. Um, it's kind of it's kind of like what they get is what they're gonna take on the north side. Right. So as, as a ground controller, do you guys have to keep in mind like the separation they're gonna need on departure? So you're not sending them like one large and then one heavy requiring awake turbulence hold and then one large. Yeah, I would we, kind of back everything up a little bit. Yeah, we, um, on the north side, you have to pay more attention to splitting the SIDs, you know, getting SIDs that are going different directions. Hopefully you can have like one north, one south, 
another north, another south. And then you try and fit people in front of the heavies when you can so that you don't have to have as much space behind them. Okay. Um, but, but you, you try to, but at this point, <laughs> at this point in my training, they haven't really been hitting, hitting it that much because, um, I, I'm lacking some of the basics like saying heavy and stuff like that. <laughs> so we're working, we're working on those kinds of things. <laughs> you better get it together, Michael. <laughs> so Mike, when you look, when you're looking out the window, and uh, you you say you're you're used to looking at the radar, and that makes a lot of sense because you can see the call sign and um, you know everything that you need to know by looking at that. It's f- very comfortable for you. When you look out the window and you see an American triple seven, what is it that is it your strip that tells you exactly which American triple seven that is, or how do you how do you associate the call sign with the one that's rolling past? Yeah, if it's a if it's a departure, you'll have a strip on them. Um, and that'll show the call sign, the type, the requested altitude, the squat code, the route, um, any special information, like if there's flow to the airport that they're going to. Um, but if they're an inbound, you're supposed to have pad management. And to be honest, the other guys probably tell you better than me because I have horrible pad management at this point. Um, but inbounds, you know, you write the call sign if they're, you know, and for us, I guess it's a little bit easier at this point um, because if they're an aircraft that's going to taxi the south side, you write them down. If they're somebody who's going to taxi to the north and you're working the south side, all you do is taxi them to the north and then ship them to the north. You don't care about the gate number. Um, I failed at pad management, by the way. I Actually, I, I refused to do it, and I got a hard time for it for a while, but people got over it. But I... I didn't do that. And I, and I also wanted to just say, uh, Michael mentioned flow and some of the, um, listeners might not actually know what that means. All that, that's actually an air traffic term or pilot term that just basically means there's, uh, delays going to a specific airport. If somebody may be going to, uh, New York or Chicago, there, there may be some sort of delay time, a 30 minute delay, a two hour delay. And that stuff's all listed on the flight progress strip. Um, so, you know, that kind of plays into where the aircraft can wait for their departure time or are they going to push back from the gate? You know, all that information is listed on the flight progress strip. This, I mean, the whole th- pro- thing is mind boggling to me. I mean, um, like I'm just thinking, yeah, maybe if you've got a triple seven here, you know, on the, on pad management, is that what you called it? Or, uh, yeah. Yeah, the yeah. Pat, pat, yeah, you have it on your pad. Like if somebody repositions, you put it in one area. If somebody's exiting the runway, taxiing to one of your gates, you put on another area. If they are delayed or you know they have to hold somewhere, you put them in another space. So, uh, okay. yeah. but you could have you know f- five company seven thirty sevens in a row or RJs in a row, and that's got to get slightly confusing. Yeah, that's where that's what I'm trying to get over right now is even understanding almost who who's first in the line if there's two um, you know Delta E 170s. Um, just remembering you know which one is which. I've already I've already screwed up more than one time calling the wrong guy to try and move them. Uh, but you can ask them, right? <laughs> you can say who are you who are you following right now. You, you can, but you just don't have the time to ask those questions. <laughs> mm, right. When it gets busy, you can still use relative position. Like if, if you imagine 10 A-10s in the pattern, 
well, A10s don't look any different from the next one. So um, I've had times where, um, especially in training missions and stuff, there'll be like Bangle 1, Flight of 2, but number 2 is ahead of number 1 because oh, number right. 1 is actually like chasing them in to watch them land, and it's kind of like a certification type thing. So sometimes you get really confused because they're, although they might be a Flight of 4, or number 3 is up front. So I've had times where I even said A10 on the go, runway 1, 8, right, say call sign. Or you could say A10 passing taxiway Bravo, say call sign. Saying the uh, calling the the wrong call sign can really screw things up. I was training at a smaller airport on local or tower control at one point, and um, I actually had ground control combined combined with tower or local, and um, I needed someone on the ground to hold their position. And there was two uh, American Eagle regional jets. One was on departure roll and one was taxiing. And I, when I was uh, making the call on the frequency, it actually transmits simulcast on ground control and tower control. And I said to the wrong call sign, hold position, <laughs> which that's actually not phraseology you know, for tower. It would be cancel takeoff clearance. But that pilot heard hold position and he was already rolling you know he was going pretty fast and he aborted his takeoff and um you know i was training and the trainer there's nothing you can do when a trainee which was me says that at that point you know there right there's no recovery the, from that yeah once the pilot heard that he aborted because he's thinking something bad's about to happen and you could just say you know just kidding keep going <laughs> yeah yeah i, I could have I, I said that but he ended up taxiing <laughs> off the runway and had to go back and then i like you get grumpy. <laughs> you get grumpy pilots when that happens. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't a good situation. You, you really you were training at the time, or you were. Yeah, yeah, I was training on local control. I, I was certified on ground, and uh, it was a smaller airport. And sometimes when it was slow, they would combine ground and tower, and so that's kind of what happened. And uh, it's pretty hard training, honestly. These two months trying to find that fine line of where you overstep and. Um, kind of jump in and fix what they did or where you just let them fix their own mistakes. It's pretty hard because when you have a training position, they're working off of your rating. So let's say they have a separation bust. At the end of the day, you're losing your ratings, not the trainee because they don't have any to lose. Yeah, the trainee can can screw something up, lose separation. And I mean, it really, it has absolutely zero effect on the trainee because they don't have a rating. They're not certified to know and and do the proper separation that's up, up to the person that's training them so you yeah. know like you said you know you can have an incident and it could be so severe that the you know trainer loses his rating and the trainee just continues moving along to another train trainer and then when you're when you're in position like by yourself and before you ever training you're used to just having one plan and you're going to stick with it so if you have like four aircraft you're you already kind of have an idea of who's number one, who's number two. But then when you're watching someone else in position and they start doing something totally different, well, whenever their plan just falls through or they screw up, you got to know how to fix their idea, even if it's something totally different than you would have ever done. Because there's a lot of times where I'm just thinking, okay, this isn't going to work. But if he sequences and, you know, it might be bad service, but it's really not a um, conflict in terms of safety, then I'm going to let him do it. And then after, you know, we get out of position, I can debrief and say, hey, this is why this was kind of dumb. You made this guy go way out of his way. 
You gotta. Um, it's it's well. It's like raising kids too. You've gotta let people fail themselves. Right. Sometimes as a learning experience, right? If you're constantly, at least if obviously I'm the only one here, not a air traffic controller, but when I'm with my small children, they I can't constantly be stepping in and doing everything for them. Or the only thing they learn is, well, Dad can do everything better than we can, so why bother? <laughs> Exactly. You know, and then they and then they add, then they expect me to do more. <laughs> so it's it's negative in a couple of ways. But um, okay, so Mike, one thing I notice when I'm listening to liveatc.net, which I do um, more than I should probably admit, um, is that controllers and pilots are constantly stepping on each other on the mic, and so that seems like kind of a flaw in the system. Do you do you agree with that or? Um, you know, is this a common problem? And do you, do you have any other kind of what you'd call flaws in the system or common problems that you've seen? Yeah, here here at the tower, um, they tend to step, everybody tends to step on each other way more than I'm used to. Um, I mean, it was, it was pretty common back at the center, but but over here, it's like probably every third transmission, somebody's stepping on another person because you got people exiting the runway, contacting you. Basically, there was a way to manage the frequency before you even you could take before you could even take a handoff at the center. But over here, you know, people just call you because they're ready to go here, they're ready to go there. Um, and so, what do you get, do? Yeah, it gets it gets frustrating, but you just ignore the people and you go exactly to who you're looking for and you keep calling them essentially until until um, the message goes through. But if two people step on each other and you weren't expecting to talk to anybody and you couldn't hear what anybody was saying what the best thing you could do is take a guess of who it was and ask and say that was uh, two or whatever multiple aircraft at once and then you say is that delta at charlie nine um you know and if he comes back you probably have fixed the problem because then you say who else was calling me then it should only be you know one other person who's calling you but um, if five people call you, you know, you got to pick them out one at a time, like, okay, who's this, who's this, who's this, and give them all instructions. And then hopefully you've cleared everything up. You can always, you know, um, ask to see, ask if anybody else was calling you. Um, okay. That yeah. was the, that was, I think one of the main causes for that, um, crash, uh, in the Caribbean. I can't remember what Island it was. Maybe one of you guys know that it was a KLM 747, uh, started its role and, and took off and smashed into somebody else that was still on the runway, and they didn't know because of a. They both keyed the mic at the same time and kind of stepped on the transmission. Yeah, you. I mean, the good thing is when you are trying to give instructions to the pilots on the ground or in the air, even depending on you know what position you're working. If another pilot was talking over you, a lot of times there's another pilot who's listening in, and they'll just say blocked. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah. So. So okay. that that makes it kind of nice because then when at you least do it, you there's kind of a buzz can, too. Yeah, you can hear it if if it's two pilots talking. You can hear um, if you were just giving instructions and somebody checked in really quick. I don't know. We don't have we don't have any of that clicking or buzzing or anything. So I won't hear if somebody's trying to talk over me uh, while I'm giving an instruction. Okay, and this is a really um, maybe this is a silly question, but do you have a when you're keying the mic, is that a button that you have holding it that you're holding in your hand, or how does that work? Yeah, you can. Um, they have two ways. You can 
you know, the little clicker on the piece to the bottom of the head or like halfway between your handset and where it plugs in and where it connects to your ear. There's okay. a little button. And then there's also a foot pedal on the ground. If you plug into the correct jack, you can use the, uh, you can just step on the foot pedal if you'd like. Oh, okay. Cool. I just kind of want to comment on how it's interesting and how a lot of people on Infinite Flight don't realize that controllers don't just get to control wherever they want. Like, it's not like uh, in the real world, I could just go to LAX and plug in and then go down to San Diego and plug in. We're in Infinite Flight. We just have like one set of procedures, a one size fits all kind of thing. Oh, but, right. But in the real world, I mean, like, you couldn't go to LAX and not know where every spot and where every gate and where every, you know, like your runway lengths. And yeah, well, and I good. guess that's, that's something that, um, you know, especially if you're working ground, let's say you, you can't just step in, um, in the real world and, and expect to, to be able to just jump in and, and cover all of those taxiways and gates and everything. You just won't know where they all are. It's impossible without lots of training and lots of practice, right? But in infinite flight, we don't have progressive taxi, at least at this point. Right. Um, so it, it lets you, um, you know, really all we have to worry about is give way commands and, uh, and then passing people off to tower. Uh, Tyler brought up a good point, you know, with, uh, you know, moving to different facilities. You know, you can look at Michael, who's training in LAX right now, and he could be fully certified at LAX for 10 years and then decide that he wants to do a transfer, say, to O'Hare. And when he does that, he goes right back into training again, and he could be training there for three or four years before he's actually on his own again. So it's not, you know, even though you're certified at one place, you can't just go to another place, you know, once you've done the whole procedures when you transfer. it It's a whole new process. I mean, he'll know the basics of working in, in a tower and kind of tricks and do's and don'ts, but that's kind of it. You're starting at the beginning at a new place all over again. Mm. They, and that just comes with experience, I guess. And they have some really, really different airspaces out there. Um, when I went down and did the tour at Orlando Executive, Orlando Executive is just north of Orlando International. So their airspace is, they're in a class delta, but they only get one half of their airspace because the other half butts up against the class Bravo. So it's like they have intersecting runways, but they can only use the north side of their pattern. Plus, mm. just to the west of them, they have downtown. So their reporting points are, you know, report downtown or turn base prior to downtown, stuff like that. You know, whereas you plug into somewhere else and you might have a full class delta with really no restrictions. And um, so I, I think it's pretty interesting to see on Infinite Flight how it's we kind of choose our airfields based on just like what mood we're in. We don't really focus on, well, I'm going to control it Charlotte for the next two weeks until I really know this airport. Right. It would be, it would probably still be a great idea to do that even on infinite flight because you, you kind of would get to know um, the weather in that area, um, how, how it interacts with other airports. Um, A good example is uh, what you were just talking about, Tyler would be for me um, at, uh, Honolulu. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a class. Help me out here. I think a class Delta directly to the west, but it, it's right underneath the ILS for, uh, or the GPS approach, I guess, for runway zero eight right. Right, exactly. And so the airspace must be, you know, kind of restricted for that one as well. I would think. 
even uh, Seattle to Boeing Field is a good example, where Boeing Field, I mean, their approach just goes directly through final into right. Seattle for 1-6. Or Santa Monica by LAX for that matter. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Cool. It's so great to be able to track flights live and find places to open frequencies where the traffic is in Infinite Flight. Cam is here to tell us a bit more about Live Flight. I think you pretty much nailed it, Jason. Awesome, but there is more to it than just flight tracking. Indeed. Have you tried flying with a joystick on your iPad yet? The Autonav feature in Connect is pretty sweet too, I must admit. So, what's coming next for Live Flight? You'll have to wait and see, but let's just say flying on Infinite Flight will never be the same again. Go and check out what we have out now though. You easily spend countless hours tracking flights in Infinite Flight Live whilst doing some proper joystick flying. Thanks, Cam. In the meantime, everyone, head over to liveflightapp.com for your next flight. Now back to the podcast. Tristan, let me ask you this. Can you explain how air traffic controllers would handle a single aircraft from before takeoff to arrival at the gate? And we don't need to... Uh, this could be a very long answer, but let's try and keep it quick. So I'm, I'm, I want to push back. I've got my flight plan filed. And, and we're talking a commercial aircraft, let's say. So... Um, What's the process for how they get passed off to different frequencies? Well, it, you know, it starts out, you know, the, the pilot's company will file their flight plan. Um, it then gets sent to the um, clearance delivery controller. It'll print out on a flight progress strip before the pilot even requests uh, a copy of the flight plan that air traffic has. And the, that controller will just kind of look over the flight plan, make sure it's a valid route, make sure there's no issues, make sure the altitude's correct for di- the direction of flight, everything's good to go, and it just kind of sits there. Pilot will then call clearance delivery, get the clearance. Once they're done with that, um, the pilot does all their pre-flight stuff. I'm not sure what that entails, but they do that. Um, from there, once they're ready uh, for pushback, then they'll switch over to ground control. You know, ground control will give them their pushback, um, taxi them to the runway, you know, then they'll switch over to the uh, tower or local controller uh, for their clearance for takeoff. From there, they'll go to either approach control or departure control, depending on the airport and uh, what frequencies open. From there, they'll get switched to center for, um, you know, most, most of the flight, they'll be with the center. And then as they come back, it's basically the reverse of that. They'll get switched to the approach control to the particular airport, then tower control, and then ground control. You know, we'll taxi them in. That's kind of the whole process in a nutshell. Awesome. So, guys, let's move this to infinite flight. Um, Tyler and Tristan, you guys are pretty heavily involved in the ATC recruiting side of the sim and so uh, give us the let's say the state of the union on the uh, advanced server atc <laughs> crew right now how's how's it going tyler you've uh as we said in a recent interview with you uh are working for flying development studio now and you're a community um community coordinator or i don't know what your official title is community manager um, coordinator community manager <laughs> the boss you're the boss so how how are things eh, the chief there you go um, everything is going extremely well um when we first started we went through this period where we were just getting extremely high quality um controllers and users and then we kind of dropped off and i think um that was maybe a point where we didn't have enough training material or we weren't 
really set up with the correct process to get the right users on as controllers. And ever since we've started this um, new written test and new method of doing a practical test to make sure everyone checks out, I mean, the, the uh, quality has just skyrocketed, and we're really getting some awesome controllers. Um, it's, it's an unfortunate part of the process, but along the way we found, you know, a lot of people weren't necessarily doing things right or maybe abusing the ghosting system. So obviously we've made some adjustments and um, put in place a little bit more accountability. And since then, we've really had some awesome results. And uh, ultimately, I'm happy with it. We're growing extremely fast. And I would say 75% of the people that we test right now are passing once they make it to the practical portion. And I, I want to add, add to that, too. I, I think that, um, you know, before, you know, at the very beginning, there wasn't, um, you know, there wasn't any recruiters and you know, things were just kind of getting sorted out. And now um, having supervisor level controllers and recruiters, you know, as part of the the ATC team, having them there helps, you know, we're able to, if somebody needs to be demoted, which, you know, we don't like to do, but it's, it's there if someone's not quality. There's actual people that are, you know, keeping an eye on everybody and everybody's kind of watching each other and, um, I think that the quality ha has gone, you know, way up. Like Tyler said, you know, it's not just one. Tyler's not sitting there watching every single controller at every second. There's multiple people that are, you know, keeping their eyes out on the controllers and flying. And, um, you know, I think it helps uh, with, with the quality. You know, we did have an issue uh, when the ghosting thing first came up. And um, I really think that's, not an issue anymore. Um, the controllers that are on the team now are very uh, aware of what the rules are for ghosting, and um, you know if if they violate them, you know we take care of that. So I, I don't think that's an issue anymore. So Tyler, we've seen some ATC features being added via Matt's Instagram account, and Matt Laban being one of the developers for Infinite Flight. Um, can you explain what some of these things that we're seeing are? Yeah, I'm actually extremely excited about them. Um, just to start, a lot of people that are pretty active on the forum and IFFG and stuff like that have noticed that over the past few months, we, we really tried to kickstart some actual procedural F um, Friday night flights where we were following procedures and they were based off of um, standard departures and standard arrivals for actual airports and what per pilots are using you know, every day. Um, but they weren't quite being executed how I imagine. And I think there was a um, disconnect between the information. So I think the temporary flight restrictions that Matt is adding is really going to bridge that gap in communication because ultimately that was the biggest issue. I don't think there was a problem with the procedures and I don't think there was a problem with the pilots that were following them. I think the biggest issue came from those that were flying through the airspace and just had no clue that something was going on. Agreed. And, because uh, it's not a requirement to be a part of IFFG or any other group to to fly on infinite flights. So right. And you I could, mean, you could very easily just be flying and not realize that you're breaking rules. Yeah. And we can't really blame them as frustrating as it is. And myself and uh, Mark and Joe and, and you, I mean, we all put a lot of work into these and a lot of thought and a lot of planning and effort. But we really can't blame users for not knowing what's going on. We have a lot of weekend flyers and a lot of 
just event flyers, you know, people have day jobs. So a lot of times on Friday or over the weekends, that's when they finally get to bust out their iPad and, and go fly. So they have no clue that something's going on. And that's I think right. Matt has posted a picture or two of the TFR or temporary flight restrictions that'll actually highlight on your screen um, a lot like the airspace does. So you'll notice that the blue rings on the airspace, when you fly into them, they go green. And that means that you're in an active airspace. So what these TFRs will do when you fly into them, they'll actually highlight and you can click on the information for that TFR and it tells you from this time to this time, this is the event that's going on. These are the speed restrictions, the altitude restrictions. So let's say we're having a Friday night flight into San Diego. You could fly over San Diego and it says from surface to 6,000, speed restriction is at or below 200 knots and this will go until saturday at 1800 zulu and stuff like that so this is going to allow us to kind of get back to those real world procedures but finally have the tools to actually get that information out there uh, because for a while we we were enforcing it with some heavy ghosting and i wasn't really a fan of that although it was kind of necessary so that you know the people that want to participate could actually participate in a more realistic manner. And then we also tried to go to a actual FNF server and that didn't work as well because naturally people are still going to go on there and see what it's all about, whether they know there's an actual procedure enforced or not. Yeah. Right. So it's going to be a great update. We'll have the dash eight, hopefully, um, which we talked about last episode and some of these new features, including um, we've seen on Matt's Instagram as well, the new grading system, mm -hmm. which will really help you understand what grade you are and why. Um, I think the why is the biggest part that when you finish exactly. a flight, if you're okay, I'm a grade three, why am I not a grade four? You can look on the table and it highlights exactly what you need to do. And to if you're Joe, then you understand that <laughs> now you, you, you can't do acrobatics, um, you know, at 50 feet AGL. That's right. Um, Even Joe uh, is held accountable at LAX. <laughs> you just can't. Um, Okay, so cool. Let's jump in with some questions from Facebook because we're getting a little low on time. Uh, Chris is asking, how do you plan on improving air traffic control so that it will be a better user experience? And so, Tyler, since you're the FDS employee here, I guess this one's for you. Ultimately, Wait, I want to see... <laughs> Go before ahead. Tyler answers, I want to just say that I'm still here and I'm available <laughs> for any questions. Because so. all I can hear is Tyler this, Tyler that. I'd like to hear more Tristan. <laughs> Okay, sounds good, Tristan. Thank you. Uh, I'll remind you that you did occupy a lot of the uh, airspace earlier on in the episode. But yes, let's <laughs> let's let's ask Tristan a few questions here too. Okay, thanks. Um, so the question is from Chris: How do you plan on improving air traffic control so it would be a better user experience? So uh, maybe you can try and speak for Matt and Philippe and the other guys at this point. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, uh, for the air traffic control community, we have what's called a suggestion box. So. I think who better to, to make suggestions and um, ideas on improvements than the controllers that are actually having to you know get out there and do all the day-to-day -day stuff. So I have an extremely long list, and there's a few things that I would really like to see, um, like holding patterns is definitely a big one. Um, but the TFRs was huge for us, and the last one that I would really like to see would be the ATIS reworked. We had some issues with it before where um, users were using the ATIS more or less to actually control their airspace, and that's not really what it's intended to do. It's intended to provide airspace information, but not to be so restrictive that we're not providing good service. You know, to say, you know, no pattern work, 
no arrivals, no departures. So it's like, you know, what are you doing? You're just occupying the tower. So I think the aid is should be more so to let, you know, pilots know what's in use, any airspace advisories, any event advisories. Um, but other than that, I think um, FDS is really focusing on um, other aspects of infinite flight, which is awesome. Even just over the past few months, the amount of work that I've seen them accomplish is um, it, it's really just crazy. It's, it's infinite flight is just getting a facelift, a much needed facelift. And I think uh, by the end of 2016, we're going to have a seriously awesome uh, flight simulator. Seriously more awesome than it already is. Yeah, seriously. Um, Tristan, if, if I asked you the same question, Tristan, assuming that you had um, some pull, which we all know you do, <laughs> uh, you're, um, what would you what would you add to make uh, or change to make ATC on Infinite Flight a better user experience for either the pilot or the air traffic controller? Personally, I'd like to see, um, you know, and, and I, I have a feeling that, you know, I don't have any insight. I don't know any secrets. So this is just my personal opinion. But I'd like to see um, a little more detail on the ground control portion of ATC, you know, with, you know, you had mentioned progressive taxi with some sort of taxi markings and actual taxi routes. So, you know, when uh, pilots are taxiing on infinite flight, uh, the controller can actually give them some sort of route rather than just taxi to the runway because at some of the bigger airports, you know, you could have them use different routes rather than just a give way or a hold position. But, but one thing that's off topic from this, um, I, um, I don't want to forget about doing is I do want to just give a shout out to all the, uh, infinite flight controllers and let them know how much I personally appreciate the work that they're doing. Tyler's kind of keeping track of, time um, that they're putting in and they put a lot of time into that and um, I personally really appreciate that and and I do see that Tyler you should have been the one doing that you know I tell them every day I I I think I'm more (laughs) proud of the fact that they how much they mentor people than what they do when they're controlling Uh, there's a lot of behind the scenes and I'm sure people have heard the word slack floating around that we have our slack communications group but I mean, when somebody jumps on Slack and says, hey, I really want to train for approach, you get 10 people that want to go fly for them, and they all give feedback. And I, and I imagine the people, you know, the controllers giving feedback to their peers, they've probably given the same feedback 20 times to other people, but they still do it um, really without any sort of gripe or um, tone of inconvenience at all. Like, everybody is super helpful, and it, it's not to sound super cliche, but it really has turned into kind of like one big family. And, and uh, it's kind of cool to see a lot of friendships develop and a lot of people kind of look out for one another, which is really neat to see. Yeah, I'll, I'll echo both of you guys. And I think we can speak on behalf of Mark and Joe uh, as well, who are, um, you know, pretty actively moderating all the time that this we do joke around a lot and we give people a hard time. Um sometimes justified sometimes not (laughs) but but it is an awesome group of people and um you know infinite flight really just wouldn't be the same flight simulator without them so uh yeah hats off to all of you guys absolutely and and ladies there are a couple as well Um, they don't the ladies don't typically hang around 
chatting on Slack because of you know, <laughs> no, they control of, and they get out of there. <laughs> yeah, well, the, the the boys won't. Uh, they they just they you know we know that women are just more mature than than teenage boys, which is mostly what it's made up of. <laughs> hanging out in the off-topic chat, but yeah, Tristan, you have something to say? Yeah, I, I was just going to add one more thing about things that I, I would like to see in the future. You sure. know, n- not necessarily right now today, but. You know, as things progress, I'd like to see um, flight plans actually being utilized where a pilot can request their altitude, you know, and and a route and the controller can see all that kind of stuff. I don't know how the developers would be able to implement something like that, but I think it would be convenient because right now the center is rarely used on infinite flight. And the center is, you know, an extremely important part of air traffic control. And, we, you know, there's not a whole lot of use for it right now today. But, you know, in the future, things could be added to make the center more useful. You know, you know, a lot of pilots probably see that the center's not open that much because there's just not a whole lot of use for it right now, you know, the way it's set up. But it's nothing against the developers, you know. There's so many things that could be added, and, you know, the developers continue to add things all the time. You know, if you look at what they've done since the beginning, who knows, you know, what it's going to be like in another year or two or three years, how things are going to change. Yeah, for sure. Um, One more real quick question from Jack on Facebook before I let you guys go. Um, if you were to add more uh, miscellaneous messages to the infinite flight air traffic control, um, I guess, command list, what would they be? Um, and before you guys answer that, I'm just going to address the elephant in the room here. Um, Mike is, he, he had to leave for some, some more training. So we did have a very limited amount of time with him, but he was nice enough to um just make some time out in the parking lot for us. So, uh, Mike, thanks very much. That's why he's not answering some of these questions. But so we want, if we want to add something to the mis- miscellaneous messages, guys, any ideas? Yeah, remaining uh, the in the first... pattern means remaining in the pattern. <laughs> oh, that would be nice. I would say, um, you know, basically one of these, which would come from Skyhawk Heavy, and it would say, you know, um, yeah, it's bull. Three That's what I, I would add something like that in there, and that way don't be a dumb. Yeah, don't. Yeah, if somebody's doing something stupid, you know, are you a dumb? Don't be a dumb. <laughs> something like that. I would like to see some, you know, messages like that in there personally. After all, it is the advanced server, so exactly. Mark's gonna Mark's gonna be smiling from ear to ear when he listens to that part, Tristan. Perfect. Uh, we'll, you, we'll put out the, uh, the little waiver forms. <laughs> yeah. The consent no, I, forms for the advanced server. Yeah. Uh, Tyler, anything from you other than remaining in the pattern means remaining in the pattern? <laughs> there really isn't many miscellaneous messages, but I think, I mean, even back to the events issue, the communication is the biggest problem. And right now when we're dealing with ghostings, um, it's just communication. It's because, you know, one side doesn't understand the other side's intentions. So we have this huge debate on, you know, I have a flight plan, but I just said with you, why are you telling me to go this way? Um, so I'd really like to see just new messages that kind of um, outline maybe what the pilot's intentions are or give the uh, controller an opportunity to kind of convey what their plan is. Like, you know, expect vectors um, 
throughout approach or arrival phase or something like that. Well, something that, that I want to add to that, you know, that Tyler had mentioned with, uh, um, you know, the pilot and controller communication, when someone gets ghosted, it would be nice if there was a way to kind of send them a quick message because that pilot that got ghosted may not be on the forum. They may not be on, you know, any of the um, fan groups on Facebook. So there may not be a way to communicate with them to let them know why they got ghosted and, you know, a lot of times it's a very honest mistake that the pilot just didn't know. And right. So we could say uh, your cause for ghosting and, you know, uh, entering runway without permission or whatever it was or yeah, not some... responding to ATC requests. Right. Yeah, I talked to Matt about that, actually. Um, if you if you look at how whenever you end a flight on the pilot side, it gives you all of your stats and stuff like that. Um, for the controller side, I'd love to see where, you know, it has an end session, but it shows you your operations, stuff like that. And then at the bottom, you could go back and address the ones that you ghosted with even just a simple, like, pre-selected um, checkboxes check where it says, you know, entered runway without permission or, oh, yeah. you know, failure to comply within X amount of time. And then you could even add comments so that the next time that, you know, the affected user logs back into Infinite Flight, they have a little pop-up message, and they can click on it, and they can kind of review what happened, you know, and stuff like that. That's a great idea. And in fact, to go along with that, maybe even a way to export your entire log for the session. Right, exactly. So if you're a controller, you can, you know, end your session and hit export log, and it maybe, I don't know, generates a, a, a text file of some kind, or you can email it to yourself or whatever, you know, um, right. so that you can then have it in front of you and say, okay, look, here's where... I asked 50 times and was trying to be patient with this person and eventually just had to ghost. So if you need proof, here it is. And we take screenshots, but sometimes if it's a fast-paced, you know, Friday night flight, um, you can forget to take the screenshot or you just want to keep things moving. And, you know, mistakes happen. Um, there are times where I've meant to ghost a, a, an aircraft and ghosted the wrong aircraft, you know, so um, it happens. It does, and I really don't want people to get, you know, upset. And a lot of people do when they're ghosted. They say, you know, hey, what the hell? Why did I get ghosted? I was doing everything you said. But they may not understand the big picture, and I would say at least 75% of the time they go, oh, I didn't even know that. You know, when you're saying, hey, this is what I was telling you to do. This is the procedure that, you know, goes with this command. And they say, well, I always thought it was like this. Um, so it is kind of one of those things that I think feels a little personal when you get ghosted. And sometimes they're in the wrong. And if you want to contact one of the moderators, we keep everyone extremely accountable. There's there's not been a single instance where I don't actually investigate, talk to the controller, figure out what went wrong. If the controller's in the wrong, I'll absolutely reverse the ghosting. And, you know, if it was something where they didn't follow the procedures, no warning was given, no nothing, um, plenty of people can tell you I've demoted people, removed people. Um, we absolutely don't want people abusing the system. But if you are ghosted, um, try to look at it as a learning experience and don't be afraid to ask questions. We want to help you, you know, so that it doesn't happen again if it was just something that was a misunderstanding. Or if it's wrong, then, hey, I'll take care of it for you. Or if you think it's fun to troll our <laughs> uh, air traffic controllers, then by all means, do it again. Exactly. <laughs> you will be ghosted again. With the same call sign every <laughs> single day. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, guys, we have to wrap this up, and and Mike's just gonna um, pop in to to say goodbye to us. Uh, but um, is before we go, is there anything else that you guys want to add? 
I would okay. just be on the lookout for these new updates. I I really can't even say how how excited I am. They're they're doing some awesome stuff. So uh, it's gonna be great. Yeah, hang in there. Two thousand sixteen. That's gonna be awesome for Infinite Flight. Yeah. Um, Tristan, I know you left an event to be with us today, even at the wrong time. So <laughs> <laughs> thank you for doing that. I, Go I ride your Harley. Yeah. yeah. No. No problem. Anytime. Guys, once again, it's been a huge pleasure. Um, thanks so much for chatting with me today. I appreciate it. Thanks for having us. Not thank you. Anytime. We'll see you next time. That was Tyler Shelton, Michael Sholin, and Tristan Hensley. These guys have joined me on Skype from Valdosta, Georgia, Los Angeles, California, and Fort Myers, Florida. Thanks as always for listening. If you haven't already, head over to the App Store or Google Play and download Infinite Flight. For more FlightCast, visit flightcast.audio and be sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and leave us a great review. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash flightcastaudio and on Twitter at flightcastaudio. If you have any ideas for FlightCast, please leave them in the comments. Flightcast is brought to you by Linkhouse Media on the web at linkhousemedia.com. Podcasting takes time and money, so if you have a few extra bucks, we would love it if you would consider donating to help keep us going strong. To donate, visit flightcast.audio and click on the yellow PayPal button in the sidebar. To cover the fine print, Flightcast is not affiliated with Infinite Flight or Flying Development Studio. I'm Jason Rosewell. Thanks for listening, and happy landings. These guys have joined me on Skype from Valdosta, Georgia, Santa Clarita, California, and Fort Myers, Florida. Oh, let me do that again, because Mike is actually in Los Angeles right now. Fail. (laughs) (laughs) Tristan's amending my outro as we speak. (laughs) Poop. Tristan. Tristan. (laughs) That's what I'm here for. I just want to say that, you know, I'm on... um, a couple. We just lost you, Tristan. Or, or infinite flight procedures, you know, with AT. Hey, Tristan, can you start that again? You just said, I just want to say, and then you cut out. Well, that's ridiculous. <laughs> Sorry, do you remember what you were saying? <laughs> let me let me think about that. That's up. No, I actually already <laughs> forgot. Thanks a lot. Okay, sorry. Uh, <laughs> I, we couldn't hear you. Well, you know what? It's my shitty internet, so... Okay. Just well, just just forget all that crap and like. We're talking about our <laughs> gathering in San Francisco. Oh yeah, that'll be fun. <laughs> yeah. Like, just cancel all that out and let's go to the end. Okay, sounds we're good. We're done. Are we done? Yeah, we're done. I'm just gonna say goodbye. Oh, oh we already did that. Um, with wait, with, this uh, is awkward. <laughs> yeah, great. Oh, we're done. This is it. <laughs>